Welcome to it. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and whether it is the key to ending the violations of our civil liberties and rights that have been occurring since lockdowns began. Prepare yourself. You're about to listen to another episode of the Good is Dumb podcast. The sworn enemy of good dumbness, and the podcast for all us dummies who fear God more than they fear men. Now here are your hosts, L and CB. Welcome to today's podcast. As always, I'm CB, and I'm joined, as always, by my lovely and wonderful wife, Elle. Hi, guys. I hope you're all doing well. And on today's podcast, we're going to be doing something a little different. Uh, Normally, we talk about the news and offer a fresh, uh, different perspective um, than you may hear elsewhere. And um, But today, we're going to be talking about the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and um, diving into... what that charter says and how it operates um, in order to better understand whether it's the key to ending the violations of our civil liberties and rights that have been occurring since the lockdowns began. Um, Because this podcast is uh, different than what we normally do, um, we're calling this uh, First Things First podcast. So these podcasts we're going to do every once in a while. Um, They're going to allow us to dive deep into um, Canadian civics, Canadian law, Canadian history, Um, And just give us a better sense and foundation of where we've come from uh, in terms of the issues currently facing us and uh, which will give us an idea of where we should go and um, how we can affect positive change in society, uh, which is really important, especially for for us as conservatives and libertarians, because we see society moving in a direction that we think is the wrong direction. Um, As always, you can connect and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Good Is Dumb Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we'd love you to to like uh, what we post, to share what we post, to um, comment, to ask us questions that we can hopefully answer here on the podcast. Um, so yeah, we really encourage you to get involved. Um, as always, we, we love um, having you listen to us and um, you can get more of the podcast or you can hear this podcast later at anchor.fm slash good is dumb podcast that's our main page uh that's anchor.fm slash good is dumb podcast um and there you can get more of the podcast uh and as always you can email us at good is dumb podcast at gmail.com um so yeah so today we're going to talk about the canadian charter of rights and freedoms but before we dive into that here's l with good news bad news in the week that was good news bad news in the week that was In updates to stories we previously covered in detail on this podcast, Ontario's Education Minister says as of Monday, February the 8th, students in Windsor, Hamilton and remaining areas will return to in-class learning, while students in Toronto, Peel and York Region won't return to classes until February the 16th. Meanwhile, in a win for free speech advocates, Canada Post suspends employee Ramiro Seplavenda and Ling Ying sue for refusing to do their job and deliver the Epoch Times through the mail, ensuring that the choice of what Canadians consume is left to Canadians. Moving on to other news, a new report indicates that the Liberal government is doing an awful job at, have, at handling COVID-19. 
with a new study from Australia ranking Canada 61st out of 98 countries in their performance on fighting COVID, giving Canada a score of just 39.5 points out of a possible 100. Therefore, it should come to us as no surprise. A new national poll conducted by the Angus Reid Institute demonstrates that nearly half or 44% of all Canadians think Canada has done a poor job a poor job securing COVID-19 vaccines, an increase of more than 20 percentage points since December in those dissatisfied with the government's ability to secure vaccines for Canadians. Meanwhile, the government keeps lying to us about vaccines being the key to returning to normal. As Canada's Transportation Minister, Omar Albagara, lets the rabbit out of the hat insisting that even those Canadians who receive the vaccines must continue to follow Canada's new transportation restrictions and all lockdown restrictions, stating there is no clear end in sight for Canadians, even assuming vaccines will be available to those who want them. Yet, liberals are more willing than ever to give up civil civil liberties in the fight against COVID and demand that their fellow Canadians do the same. With a new national online poll from Campaign Research demonstrating that amongst NDP and Conservative voters, 46 and 47% stated they would strongly oppose police entering people's homes without a warrant to enforce lockdowns, while only 29% of liberals strongly opposed to the idea, with 71% of all liberal voters also stating that they would be in favor of censorship if it had to do with COVID-19, while 36% of liberals surveyed were okay with police breaking up families if the situation was deemed a public health issue because of COVID-19. Resulting in news like this after a mother's son is taken away. Listen. We um, fought to get our son home from Arizona. Um, as quick as we could, because we knew these regulations were supposed to be going in on Monday to February the 1st, Saturday night at midnight. And my son is supposed to be coming in from the flight from Phoenix, and he is being detained because they didn't accept his test. They're saying it's not accurate, and they're wanting to take him to a quarantine facility. They won't let me talk to him. They won't let me see him. They won't come and talk to me. They won't tell me who's picking him up. They won't tell me where he's going. They won't tell me anything. Meanwhile, in Toronto and Montreal, security contractors have now been hired to do door knocking, checking for those supposed to be in quarantine at their address addresses to ensure they are following the lockdown measures. A door-knocking force that includes liberal politicians with liberal MP Seamus O'Regan caught campaigning door-to-door last Saturday, despite Trudeau imploring all Canadians to stay home. Just another example of government hypocrisy for us mouth-breathers to swallow. But hey, at least Groundhog Day brought some good news, as we may have spring to look forward to sooner than expected, as Warrington Willie did not see a shadow upon leaving his burrow. And this has been Good News, Bad News in the week that was. Thank you, Al. So um, we are going to get to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. But I, I wanted to talk to you today about a article, a news event, actually, that I came across uh, from this past Saturday. Um, and it was when anti-vaxxers uh, shut down Dodger Stadium in California 
which is currently being used as a major vaccine administration site in California uh, for over an hour as they attempted to break into the parking lot, um, resulting in multiple officers being dispatched to the scene um, and before they, the administration site was able to get uh, back up and running. So the reason I wanted to talk about this news event is because on last week's podcast, which we encourage you to go back and listen to, we talked about COVID-19 vaccines. And here on uh, this podcast, we don't view the vaccines as the key to returning to normal, um, like the government officials and like the corporations who are selling the vaccines do. Um, We actually believe that it's the current medical data that anyone can access right now that's the key to pushing back against these violations of our freedoms and our civil liberties. Um, But because we are um, personally against these vaccines, I wanted to talk about this news story because... We don't agree with these anti-vaxxers. These anti-vaxxers, just like the governments that are pushing the vaccines, are trying to make decisions for other people. And whether it is a decision that I agree that we agree with or whether it's a, a decision that we disagree with, we don't think anyone has the right to tell anyone else in society what they should do um, unless that they are telling someone not to violate someone else's right. So on this podcast, I just want to make clear that while we may be skeptical of vaccines, um, although they may be useful in certain situations, um, we do not stand for uh, progressivism, which is this push to have everyone conform to someone's understanding. Um, and and this, this, this totalitarian bent that people now have where it's not good enough to simply um, agree to disagree. They must make you conform to their viewpoint. And again, whether that's coming from a more conservative side uh, or a side that I agree with, um, I agree with or a side that I disagree with that is not acceptable and that will never be tolerated on this program. And so I just wanted to clarify that this is why we are libertarians and we're not conservatives because There are groups like these anti-vaxxers, not that all conservatives are anti-vaxxers, but conservatives have the same bent where when they get into power, instead of creating more freedom for everyone to make their own life decisions, they do what the left does and they try and force people into their worldview. And uh, so I just wanted to clarify that although we're skeptical of, of vaccines, we don't think that the, we we don't think that a different government that would make a different choice should force others to make that different choice as well. We think everyone should have the ability to make that choice for themselves. Um, and so, yeah, so I just wanted to clear, clarify that because I know that um, a lot of the feedback we were getting was that, uh, well, you just you just want to you just want to make vaccines unavailable to everyone and, and you want to put people's lives at risk. And, and that's not the case. We just want people to make their own decisions about vaccines. I mean, uh, Mayor Tory in Toronto came out and announced the, uh, I believe it's called the COVID-19 Black uh, Vaccine Equity Tax Task Force. And he basically wants to target um, black communities in order to provide them with the information or anything that they might need to get over their vaccine hesitancy. And and that's wrong as well, because 
People should not be targeted because they would make a decision that you disagree with. People are smart and informed regardless of their skin color, and they can make the decision for themselves. Um, so, so let's start talking about uh, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So um, this is this has become a big uh, a, a source of um, strain and a source of of questioning um, because. With the lockdowns, we've seen a lot of violations of our basic civil liberties and our freedoms and our rights. And so that puts the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms squarely in the middle of this debate about whether lockdowns are actually legal. Um, and um, especially because we're Christians on this podcast. So we've been hearing talk about this a lot from our Christian friends about whether lockdowns are legal, especially since they're forcing churches to remain closed. Um, not to mention it's forcing people to not be able to work and provide for their families, resulting in loss of livelihoods, loss of businesses, loss of income, um, which is, which is opened a whole other Pandora's box of abuse and overdoses and suicides and, um, family breakups that are just tragic. Um, so, so we really want to understand what is the Charter on Rights and Freedoms have to say about our rights and freedoms and and how it might or might not be the key to um, pushing back against these these draconian lockdowns that are just harming Canadians in so many ways. Um, so uh, we're going to talk about it uh, on this podcast. So the first thing we're going to do, I'm going to turn it over to um, L to kind of get us started. Because um, the first question that everyone should be asking is, so what are the rights guaranteed to us in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms as Canadians? Um, uh, especially those rights that might be applicable to the current issues we are facing as society. So I want to mention here that all this information was taken directly from the Canadian Department of Justice website. So you can go and look it up for yourselves. I highly encourage you to go look it up for yourselves and read it. Every Canadian should. Um, so we're, we're going to start going through the charter itself and talking about um, some of the some of the um, rights that are listed uh, in the charter and how they've been interpreted in Canadian history by the Supreme Court and by legal precedent. So uh, here's L with section two of the charter. Okay, so looking into at section two of the charter, fundamental fundamental freedoms. So this includes freedoms of conscience. Freedoms of religion, freedom of thought, freedom of belief, freedom of expression, freedom of the press, and of other media of and, and of other media of communication, freedom of peaceful assembly, and freedom of association. So, Section Two A, freedom of religion, has been defined as the right to entertain such religious beliefs. As a person chooses the right to declare religious beliefs openly and without the fear of hindrance or reprisal. And the right to manifest religious beliefs by worship and practice or by teaching and dissemination. A.K.A. that means the churches have the right to be open. Yep. Um, so freedom of religion comprises both of an um, comprises both of an individual aspect and an, and of a collective aspect. The Supreme Court has noted that religion is about both religious beliefs and religious relationships. 
recognize recognizing the linkages between religious belief and its manifestation through communi- communal institution and traditions. So that's like going to church, just like assembly, like meeting and, and all that stuff. The court has found that measures that undermine the charter of lawful religious institutions and dispute the vitality of religion religious communities represent a profound interference with of relig- with religious freedom. So an infringement of section 2A of the Charter of Rights will be made out where 1. the claimant sincerely believes in a belief or practice that has a nexus with a religion and 2. the imp- the impugned measures interferes with the claimant's ability to act in accordance with his or her religious beliefs in a matter that is more than trivial or insubstantial. And and this is why, and, and we talk, we'll talk about this further in another First Things First podcast, um, but this is why we're going to talk a lot on this pack, podcast, and you'll hear a lot from us on this podcast, about the need for the churches to be clear uh, with a very loud voice that it is a sincere belief or practice of Christian religion to gather as a body together, mm-hmm. not online, but in person. So, so it, because in order for there to be an infringement, your religion must state that that's a, that's a fundamental core belief of your religion. And right now, a lot of pastors are conveniently stating that it isn't because they don't want to risk the fines and the intimidation and the arrests of the government by speaking out against this. But the thing is, is if you don't speak out against this, you don't make a case under Section 2 of the Charter that they are violating your religious freedoms and rights because you're not making a case for gathering in person as a fundamental part of the christian religion which by the way on this podcast we believe it is yeah and the thing is that the churches need to kind of do it now so because it sent it sets a precedence for future right for the future so if we don't do anything about it now if we just kind of like you know kind of whatever we're like it it doesn't really matter then in the future the government's going to be like well you know, you didn't care about it in the first place. Why is it all of a sudden important for whatever situation? So freedom of religion is not unlimited and is restricted by the right of others to hold and to manifest beliefs and opinions of their own and to be free from injury from the exercise of the freedom of religion and of others. Freedom of religion is a subject to such limitations as are necessary to protect protect public safety, order, health, or morals, and the fundamental rights and freedoms of others. So, for example, um, this is why in Canada it is illegal for any religious group to kill anybody or, or try and kill any other group in the name of their religion. So, if that sounds familiar... Uh, or that it might pertain to a specific group. We're not saying that here. But we're just saying that in Canada that would be considered illegal because it is interfering with people's health, with people's public safety, 
um, and the fundamental rights and freedoms of others. Moving on to Section 2C, Freedom of Peaceful Assembly. Section 2C includes the right to participate in peaceful demonstrations, protests, parades, meetings, picketing, and other assemblies. Some um, jurisprudence has found that the legal measures affecting freedom of assembly through the reasonable regulation of public space and association and associated public health and safety matters do not infringe Section 2C. Section 2D, Freedom of Association, is intended to recognize the profoundly social nature of human endeavors and to protect the individual from state-enforced isolation in the pursuit of their ends. It allows the achievement of individual potential through interpersonal relationships and collective action. This would include work, by the way. So the lockdowns, uh, making arbitrary distinctions between people who are deemed essential workers and who can continue to earn a livelihood and those who are considered non-essential and therefore have been banned from working that's an arbitrary distinction that clearly violates section 2d of the charter freedom of association protects three classes of activities first the constitutive right to join with others and from and form associations two the derivative right to join with others in the pursuit of others' constitutional rights, and three, sorry guys, sorry about that, um, the purposive right to join with others to meet to more equal terms the power and the strength of other groups or entities. Section 2D also encompasses what has been called a negative aspect, a freedom not to associate or freedom from compelled or forced association. However, Section 2D is not a constitutional right to isolation. It does not protect against all forms of involuntary association, and it was not intended to protect against association with others that is necessary and in an end. And an inevitable, inevitable part members of membership in a modern democratic community. So what this is saying here is, for example, like when there is an election, even if you don't vote, the person that wins the election in your jurisdiction still becomes your representative, even though you didn't want to associate with any of the potential representatives for your jurisdiction. So uh, to go on another example, an example of this, the requirement to practice an egg marketing scheme does not offend the freedom of association of egg producers. To decide otherwise has the potential to constitutionalize all commercial relationships under the rubric of freedom of association, as there is no trade or profession that can be exercised entirely by oneself. It would argue arguably mean that all forms of government regulation of the economy affecting the ability of individuals to trade would at least in prima facie infringe section 2d and require justification under section 1 of the charter so as we've heard section 2 covers a lot of rights that are currently being uh, violated or potentially being violated right now in our society so that includes the, the right to religious expression the right to peaceful assembly, the right to freedom of association, um, which may include, um, and I argue would include, the right to work um, for every Canadian. 
Um, however, it, it, it is clear here as well that, that these fundamental rights are not unlimited um, and that they can be limited by the government. Uh, we'll get to that shortly. Um, but, but before we get there, uh, another section of the Charter, Section 6, uh, that is applicable to today is the mobility rights. So Section 6 of the Charter states, 1. Every citizen of Canada has the right to enter, remain in, and leave Canada. Every citizen of Canada and every person who has the status of a permanent resident of Canada has the right to move and to take up residence in any province and to pursue the gaining of a livelihood in any, pro in any province. So again, here we have the right to work being expressed here. And we also have the right of every citizen to both enter, remain in, and leave Canada. Um, the rights specified in Section 2 of Section 6 of the Charter are subject to any laws or practices of general ap application in force in a province other than those that discriminate among persons primarily on the basis of province of, pres of present or previous residence, and any laws providing for reasonable residency requirements as a qualification for the receipt of publicly provided social services. Sections 4, 2, and 3 do not preclude any law, program, or activity that has as its object the amelioration in a province of conditions of individuals in that province who are socially or economically disadvantaged if the rate of employment in that province is below the rate of employment in Canada. Section 6, uh, Part 2, is concerned with movement within Canada to take up residence or to pursue the gaining of a livelihood. The right of Canadian citizens and permanent residents to move about, reside, and work in the province of their choice was constitutionalized out of a concern with fundamental human rights and supports the notions of equality of treatment and non-discrimination on the basis of residence. So in other words, just because you live in one province doesn't mean you can't work in another, and just because you live in any specified province doesn't mean you don't have a right to pursue uh, your livelihood and your economic gain in Canada. Um, the Supreme Court has, however, has affirmed that Section 6.2b and Sections 6.3a, so that is the right to pursue the gaining of a livelihood in any province, and the um, general application enforced in a province other than those that discriminate amongst persons primarily on the basis of province of present or previous residence. So they're saying that the pursuit to gain a livelihood in any province is directly connected to the idea that you might be in a different province while pursuing that that uh, livelihood. But even though that's what the Supreme Court ruled, it seems very arbitrary to me that that's a ruling because here it the whole Section 6, as it states in the Charter, is concerned with fundamental human rights and supports the notion of equality of treatment and non-discrimination on the basis of residence. So again... If, it's, if that's the base, the understanding of Section 6, then it makes no sense that they would rule that Section 2B and Section 3A would have to be uh, put together um, and that they cannot be separated in the sense that anyone in any province in Canada has the right to pursue livelihood. Um, so uh, Section 6.2B does not create a freestanding right to work divorced from the mobility provision in which it is found. So again, this is what the Supreme Court ruled. 
The rights in Section 2 relate to movement into another province, either for the taking up of residence or to work without establishing residence. But again, this makes no sense because then they would be discriminating against those who want to pursue livelihoods that are that already reside in the province in which they want to pursue their livelihood, which the Section 6 clearly states is not uh, is a violation of the Charter. So moving on to Section 7, Life, Liberty, and Security of the Person. Everyone has a right to life, liberty, and security of the person, and the right not to be deprived thereof except in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice. So this would include the idea that the Canadian government cannot simply detain you in an undisclosed federal facility upon returning from international travel, again, because you have a right to enter Canada, um, and again, because you have not violated any law by doing so. So therefore, they are depriving you of your liberty uh, without being in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice, because again, you violated no law by returning to Canada. So they can't just violate your liberty because you returned to Canada, even if you may have a disease. So again, it's pretty clear here that these new travel restrictions, these new undisclosed federal facilities um, that, as far as I'm concerned, are concentration camps. Um, it's just they do no work in them. So they're more like jails, I suppose. Um, but you, but again, you've Canadians returning from international locations have a right to return to Canada, as we heard in Section 6 of the Charter, and therefore have violated no law, and therefore cannot be deprived of their liberty simply because they may have a disease upon returning from their international location. So the right to liberty also includes protections that provide a sphere of person of personal autonomy involving inherently private choices that go to the core of what it means to enjoy individual dignity and independence. Where state compulsions and prohibitions affect such choices, Section 7 may be engaged. This aspect of liberty includes the right to refuse medical treatment and the right to make reasonable medical choices without threat of criminal prosecution criminal prosecution. It may also include the ability to choose where one intends to live, as well as protected sphere of parental decision-making for parents to ensure their children's well-being. An example of this is a right to make decisions concerning a child's education and health. So this would mean that the education minister in Ontario, Stephen Lecce, should not be able to arbitrarily shut down the schools without consultation from the parents because the parents have the right under the charter to make decisions regarding their children's education. So I also want to point out here that um, what would also be a violation of this section would be mandating vaccines because everyone under this section has the right to refuse medical treatment. Um, I would also point out that because uh, this section provides uh, uh, provides for a sphere of personal autonomy involving inherently private choices that go to the core of what it means to enjoy individual dignity and independence. This would also mean that forcing me to wear a face diaper is not appropriate and is a violation of the charter. So I don't want to wear a face diaper, so you can't make me wear a face diaper because that's an inherently private choice about what I choose to wear or not wear. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, so they can't just, a lot, a lot of the things we're seeing and a lot of the things that we've been dealing with since the lockdowns began are, are clear violations, uh, of the charter. Um, and because we have the right to liberty. Continuing on with uh, further down in Section 7, with some lower court decisions having held the liberty in this context includes the right to work or do business. Although the Supreme Court has said that Section 7 does not protect freedom to transact business whenever one wishes. So I'd also like to point out here that, um, again, the Supreme Court, because of its left-leaning ideology, um, refuses to recognize explicitly the right to work in Canada. However, the lower courts, because they may be less left-leaning in ideology, are just logically understanding the charter to mean that every Canadian has a right to work. And I would also point out here that although the Supreme Court has said that Section 7 does not protect freedom to transact business whenever one wishes... It provides very little detail in terms of what factors would contribute to limiting a person's ability to transact to transact business whenever one wishes. So it may not even include that there could be a pandemic. Um, so moving on uh, to section nine of the charter, uh, which is so section nine is freedom from arbitrary detention. Everyone has the right not to be arbitrarily detained or imprisoned. The guarantee in Section 9 against arbitrary detention or imprisonment is a manifestation of the general principle enunciated in Section 7 that a person's liberty is not curtailed except in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice, including arrests, investigative detention by law enforcement on reasonable grounds grounded in objectively discernible facts, police roadblocks, etc. Section 9 serves to protect individual liberty against unlawful state interference. So again, this is more specifically stating that we have a right not to be arbitrarily detained. And so, again, that means because every Canadian has the right to return from an international location to Canada, we cannot be arbitrarily detained for three days to determine whether the government is going to detain us for another 14 or another 11, however they're working that out, um, while we wait for a test to provide the government with objectively discernible facts. So again, they cannot detain us. They have to send us home. They cannot arbitrarily detain us because they have no test for COVID until three days later. And so during those three days, they cannot detain you arbitrarily because there's no objective facts for that detention. Okay, so now I'm going to move on to section 24, and that's remedies. Um, so section 24, anyone whose rights or freedoms as guaranteed by this charter ha have been infringed or denied may apply to a court of competent jurisdiction to obtain such remedy as the court considers appropriate and just in the circumstances. So again, this is just saying that these rights that we just discussed in the charter um, that are guaranteed under the charter under sections two section six section seven section nine all of which have been violated in some form or another by the lockdowns um 
Canadians have the right to take up these violations with their government through the court systems. So, um, this is something that has been discussed amongst people who are concerned about our rights and our freedoms, and amongst especially Christians because we're concerned about the health and well-being of our church and our communities um, by having our churches closed and the negative impact that would have on our communities. Um, but it's important to recognize that unlike the American Constitution, which recognizes that our fundamental rights and freedoms uh, cannot be infringed by government because they are not provided by government to us, they are guaranteed to us by God, um, the Charter is a very progressive, to, uh, totalitarian, left-leaning document. Um, and in fact, in my opinion, should actually be ca called the Charter of Privileges because its fundamental understanding is not that our rights come from God, but rather that our rights are provided to us by the government. And therefore, unlike in the American system, where the government's job is to protect and uphold our God their God-given rights, in the Canadian system, because the government gives us our rights, they get to arbitrarily limit and infringe upon those rights according to their own understanding. Um, so we know this because of Section 1 of the Charter. So again, this is the very first thing that the Charter of Rights and Freedoms states, is that our rights don't come from God they come from government because of what section, because of the language used in section one of the charter. So I'll read section one here. So section one of the charter, the Canadian charter of rights and freedoms guarantees the right and freedom set out in subject only to such reasonable limits prescribed by law as can be demonstrate demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. Section 1 affects a balance between the rights of the individual and the interests of society by permitting limits to be placed on guaranteed rights and freedoms. Most modern societies, uh, most modern constitutions recognize that rights are not absolute and can be limited if this is necessary to achieve an important objective and if the limit is appropriately tailored or proportionate. So again, it's clearly saying that if the government wants to do something, they can go ahead and do it because, again, this is, this is the Canadian Charter of Privileges and not the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The values and principles which guide the court in applying Section 1, also known as the Oaks Test, include the inherent dignity of the human person, commitment to social justice and equality, accommodation of a wide variety of beliefs, respect for culture and group identity, and faith in social and political institutions which enhance the participation of individuals and groups in society. In order to be capable of justification under Section 1, the limit on the right or freedom must be prescribed by law. So, so again, so these um, guidelines that are being enforced in the lockdown, if they're not actual bylaws or laws that have been passed by municipal or provincial governments, they are actually... A violation of the charter. So continuing on, section one is engaged only after finding, after a finding has been made that a right or freedom has been limited. The onus of proof under section one is on the person seeking to justify the limit, which is generally the government. The standard of proof is a civil standard or balance of probabilities. So again, so 
The introduction of Section 1 suggests that the government can infringe or limit uh, the charter, the privileges guaranteed by the charter. Um, but then it goes on to say that this limitation has to be justified and and that the government uh, must provide proof to justify that limitation. So, uh, defining demonstrably justified connotes a strong evidentiary foundation. Cogent and persuasive evidence is generally required. Where scientific or social science evidence is available, it will be required. However, where such evidence is inconclusive or does not exist, it cannot be developed, reason and logic may suffice. So again, what it's saying here is that when the experts and the government officials get on TV and say to us as Canadians, just trust us because we're following the medical data, and then they never show us the medical data, that is a violation of our charter rights if they're using, supposedly using that medical data that they never show us to violate our rights and freedoms, which, is, as we've just talked about, is happening with the lockdowns. Proportionality. The means used to obtain the objective of a provision must be proportional to the importance of that objective. The following three steps anal analysis is used to assess proportionality. 1. Rational connection. The limit must be rationally connected to the objective. The government must demonstrate on a balance of probabilities a causal link between the impugned measure and the pressing and substantial objective. 2. Minimal impairment. The limit must impair the right or freedom as little as possible. So, again, uh, I don't know who's been living under a rock, but I'm pretty sure Canadians feel that our rights and freedoms have not been limited as little as possible. Um, it seems that every week the government is just coming up with new, more restrictive guidelines for how we're to live um, and how we're to conduct business and how we're to educate our children and how we're to associate with others in society um, without any regard for limiting the impact on our fundamental rights and freedoms. Um, finally, three, proportionality or final balancing. The final stage of Oaks requires that the statutory effects of the impugned law, typically with reference to the anticipated attainment of the asserted legislative objective, outweighs its deteriorous effects. So again, this is what anti-lockdown proponents have been arguing since the beginning. Namely that the negative effects of lockdowns and of these restrictive measures are more deteriorous to society than the COVID-19 virus itself. But because, again, whenever you talk about that, you're silenced, you're kicked out of political parties, you're removed from power, you're arrested in the street, you're um, shut down, your freedom of speech is taken away. It's been very difficult for anti-lockdown um, proponents to get this information out to the public, um, which again is critical in understanding that these lockdowns are, of, are a fundamental violation of our fundamental rights and freedoms guaranteed to us in the Charter. Lastly, it should also be noted that the Supreme Court leans towards upholding the government's violation or limitation of our rights and freedoms 
when such an unconstitutional law involves a wide variety of interests and sectors of society outside of those seeking to have the law deemed unconstitutional. So, for example, if a religious group wanted to express themselves in a uh, by violating a government law that has been passed that is a violation of their rights to freedom of expression, and that law also affects um, the corporate sector of society, the health sector of society, the um, different socioeconomic sectors of society, um, it would be it would be harder for that religious group, so in this case the churches, to win the case against the government that they should be able to open because the laws in the lockdown are affecting everyone and therefore affecting all different types of areas in society. Um, I'm not sure exactly why that would be because, again, in my thinking, you would have to show that it would have a negative impact on those different aspects of society, not simply say that, well, the law affects different aspects of society and therefore we won't hear your case or you're going to lose your case. Um, it just seems very um, unreasonable to me. Um, but at least Section 1 is limited by st- is limiting in terms of what the government is able to do to violate our, our rights and freedoms in Canada because the government actually has to have a strong evidentiary foundation and and be able to justify the violation of our rights. So I want to run through why the government does not have a strong evidentiary foundation to support these implementations of these lockdowns um, because of COVID-19. And I'm going to do that by going through the medical data. Again, on this podcast, we hold that vaccines are not the key to returning to normal. The medical data is the key to returning to normal because the medical data dispels the myth that the government is pushing that we need to violate all our rights and freedoms in order to be saved from COVID. So I'm going to go through the medical data that disproves the need for lockdowns because of COVID. So laws of immunology state asymptomatic patients cannot cause pandemics. So again, People without symptoms, even if they carry disease, has been shown in a study uh, uh, that evaluated 9 million Chinese citizens um, to be a non-factor in spreading COVID. So, so in this study, 9 million Chinese citizens uh, were, were studied. Out of them, 300 were asymptomatic, and out of those 300... Uh, 1,174 close contacts of those 300 cases were uh, did not contract COVID by interacting with those 300 people. So again, asymptomatic patients cannot cause pandemics. So again, there's no reason to lock down all of Canada, all of society, and restrict people's access to one another because people may have the virus even though they're asymptomatic. Um, uh, law of immunology too. So 
Uh, the first law was asymptomatic patients cannot cause pandemics. The second law is herd immunity is critical. And herd immunity can occur either naturally or via vaccines. So as Elle was talking about earlier in that study from the Lowy Institute in Australia, Canada was ranked 61st out of 98 countries. And Canada was ranked behind Sweden in terms of how well it was doing fighting COVID-19. Um, and again, Sweden is the pro-natural herd immunity capital of the world. And it has very little restrictions and, and had very temporary lockdowns. And now, even with only 7.7% of their population wearing the masks, compared to European countries surrounding them that have 90-plus uh, mask use, have lower deaths, lower hospitalizations, and a much freer and much better functioning economy. So again, there is no reason that we can't become herd immune from COVID-19 without these lockdowns that are destroying our businesses, destroying our families, and and destroying our churches. Um, not only that, but the infection mortality rate amongst those 65 and older is 0.5 to 1%, which is half that or equal to the flu. So again, the number of people who are who contract the virus and die from the virus is half that or equal to the number of people who contract the flu every year and die from the flu in those age 65 and over. So again, we're talking about a disease that is the same uh, that has the same infection mortality rate as the flu. And we have never shut down our society because of the flu, despite flu season occurring every year. Um, and it gets even worse for the government because infection mortality rate under those for those under 65 is 0 0.5 uh, or less. So the, inf the number of people who die from contracting COVID-19 under the age of 65 is half the number who die from contracting the flu who are under the age of 65 every year. which is why COVID-19, depending on your age, has a 99.7% plus survival rate, which again is higher than the survival rate for the common flu. So again, we have had flu seasons every year. I don't know, for the past... I don't know. Over 100 years. Over 100 years. So... So we've we've had flu seasons every year in in modern Western society, and we have never shut down our economies. We have never shut down our churches. We have never shut down our businesses like this because of something that again is equal to or less than the common flu in terms of the number of people it is killing. And it is why Canada's total deaths in 2020 were no higher than the number of total deaths from any of the past five years. Um, also, we know 90% of people testing positive from PCR tests, which is the overwhelming way in which everyone around the world is tested for COVID, 
when that PCR test has a cycle threshold that is above 30 to 35 cycles, 90% of, of those positives are false positives, with nearly all PCR tests on the market having 37 plus cycle thresholds. So the way that these rapid PCR tests work in testing COVID is they go through multiple cycles in order to determine whether there is any uh, presence of the virus that can be uh, detected in your system. And once you get over the 30th to 35th cycle of trying to see if there's any presence of the virus, you are starting to get into um, inconclusive territory. And also territory where even if the virus is detected after the 30 to 35th cycle, it doesn't matter because you would be highly asymptomatic. And it may even be the case that you're not even asymptomatic, but you actually have antibodies to the virus. So this is not detecting people that are going to spread this virus to other people. Um, so again, so we have... So these case numbers that the media and the government keep talking about day after day after day to violate all, the, all of our fundamental rights and freedoms through these lockdowns, 90% of those numbers are false positives. So let's talk about masks for a second. So in a study released by the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy Center, at the University of Minnesota back in April on whether mass use of public masks is effective for disease control of COVID-19 concluded this way. We do not recommend requiring the general public who do not have symptoms of COVID-19 like illness to routinely wear cloth or surgical masks because there is no scientific evidence they are effective in reducing the risk of COVID-19 transmission. In fact, Seeking a reason for the failure of cloth masks required for the public in stopping the 1918 influenza pandemic found that the number of cloth layers needed to achieve acceptable efficiency made them difficult to breathe through and caused leakage around the mask. We found no well-designed studies of cloth masks as source control in a household or healthcare setting. Several medical studies done of cloth masks show that they are only 2% to 38% effective in stopping the spread of infection when compared to N95 masks, which are 95% effective. In other words, masks are virtually useless, which is why the, which is why, uh, uh, in some, given the paucity of information about their performance as source control in real world settings, along with the extremely low efficiency of cloth masks as filters and their poor fit, there is no evidence to support their use by the public or healthcare workers to control the emission of particles from the wearer. So again, this is why both the World Health Organization and the Center for Disease Control in the United States, prior to all the pressure that they received from left-leaning governments, um, told everyone back in March and April that the data on masks, the research that had been done on masks since the Spanish flu. So this is a hundred years plus of research show that masks don't work. And it's why the, the World Health Organization, the WHO, continues to only partially cave by only recommending masks to those in situations where physical distancing isn't possible. 
So again, so we have masks don't work. COVID-19 isn't is equal to or half as deadly as the common flu. Um, the number of cases that they're using to justify day after day uh, of the need of the lockdowns, 90% of those are false positives. We know that herd immunity can occur naturally, which is why Sweden is already back up and running. Um, and we also know that asymptomatic patients cannot spread the virus to other people. So it is, there is no reason to have an arbitrary lockdown for everyone when most of us have no symptoms of it and most of us are asymptomatic or don't have the virus at all or already have immunity to the virus because they've already contracted it. So let's talk about schools. So Sick Kids released a report back in June titled COVID-19 Recommendations for School Reopening. And they wrote this. Evidence is mounting that children may be less susceptible to SARS-CoV-2, which is COVID-19, infection, and may be less likely to transmit the virus to others. There is also strong evidence that the majority of children who become infected with SARS-CoV-2, which again is COVID-19, are either asymptomatic or have only mild symptoms such as a cough, fever, and sore throat. Therefore, it is critical that we balance the risks of COVID-19 in children, which appear to be minimal, with the harms of school closure which is impacting their physical and mental health. This is why, on balance, it is recommended that children return to school and that the messaging around this clearly articulate the rationale for the recommendations outlined in this document in order to help reduce the fear and anxiety in parents, children, and school staff. In our view, a daily school model is best as it allows for consistency, stability, and equity, regardless of the region in which children live. So again, the best children's hospital in Canada, Sick Kids Toronto, stated way back in June that COVID-19 has a very, very minimal impact on children and that schools should be fully opened and operational. And that the government's role should be to communicate to parents and teachers unions that this needs to happen and that it is safe to do so. Not it's unsafe and so we need to shut down the schools and continue to fear monger um, and, and push the narrative on parents and on uh and amongst te teachers that we can't possibly have these children back in school because it's unsafe. That is a lie, and that is not what the medical experts, based on the medical data, recommended to the government. So again, there's no strong evidentiary foundation needed in Section 1 to violate any of the charter guaranteed rights for the government to shut down schools. In fact, sick kids in the sick kids report, they even provided the following guidance when it came to reopening schools fully. Not they they stated non-medical and medical face masks are not required or recommended for children returning to school. And strict physical distancing should not be emphasized to children in the school setting as it is not practical and could cause significant psychological harm. Close interactions such as playing and socializing is central to child development and should not be discouraged. So again, not only should schools be fully reopened, 
but masks and social distancing should not be strictly adhered to or implemented because it causes psychological harm to our children. But did the government actually listen to the medical experts and the medical data? No. Moreover, according to a... Um, so, since it is the medical data... So, again, as I just talked about, it is the medical data that the government is trying to hide from you because it is the medical data that they fear will expose that they do not have a strong evidentiary foundation required in section one of the charter to continually violate our other rights and freedoms guaranteed in the charter Canadian charter of rights and freedoms. So the medical, so the medical demo, data demonstrates when the government deprives us, deprives us of our right to freedom of association, peaceful assembly, and the right to petition our government by instructing police to make it clear to journalists that they should stay home and to arrest Canadians who dare protest the lockdowns, this is a violation of the Charter. When the government deprives, deprives us of our right to freedom of association and our right to work by stating that corporations are allowed to keep their doors open while over 25,000 plus small businesses have shuttered permanently due to being told they cannot open and if businesses owners... And if business owners dare, they will be arrested and fined, and that certain people can't work because they are arbitrarily deemed non-essential, this is a violation of the Charter. When the government deprives us of our right to association, right to mobility, and our right to be free from arbitrary detention, when they state that Canadians returning from abroad cannot go home, but rather must be arbitrarily detained in an undisclosed federal facility without them knowing if we even have the virus, including demanding we arbitrarily pay for our accommodations at the facility for the first three days until our COVID-19 test results come back, regardless if that test is positive or negative, and that while detained at the facility, we cannot have contact with our loved ones, including by phone, this is a violation of the Charter. When the government deprives us of our right to freedom of association, freedom, right to work, and right to mobility by issuing stay-at-home orders and limiting the number of people that can gather together on private property, and applying those orders to everyone regardless of whether they have an active symptomatic case of the virus or not, this is a violation of the Charter. When the government and or corporations in bed with the government attempt to deprive us of our right to liberty by stating that masks should be mandated, vaccines may be mandated, and that we may require vaccination passports to exercise our rights and freedom guaranteed to us in the Charter, this is a violation of the Charter. When the government deprives us of our right to liberty by depriving parents of their choice of when, where, and how their children attend school, this is a violation of the Charter. And when the government deprives us of our right to religious expression by saying that churches must close, churches are to be fined, pastors are to be threatened with jail time, and they order police show up and shut down and disband, and disband church gatherings and intimidate the ecclesia, while those without a clear right guaranteed to them in the Charter, such as abortion clinics, LCBOs, corporate grocery stores, and restaurants, remain open, this is a violation of the Charter. So, again, the medical data, which is the strong evidentiary uh, foundation that the government would need to justify the violation of our Charter rights and freedoms by these lockdowns, actually demonstrates that these lockdowns are a clear violation of our Charter rights and freedoms and are unconstitutional. 
So while on the one hand, our charter is a charter of privileges, not a charter of rights and freedoms, because again, the fundamental understanding of the charter is that our rights come from government and not from God. And therefore, the appropriate role of government is to um, provide, but also limit and deprive us of our rights should they choose. Um, we should nonetheless be using Section 24 of the Charter to appeal to courts across the land for our fundamental rights and freedoms because, again, the medical data demonstrates that the lockdowns are a clear violation of our rights and freedoms and that they do not provide the government with a strong evidentiary foundation to violate those rights and freedoms. And... Again, on this podcast, as Christians, we are we are deeply concerned for the church, and I personally just have one message. Open, open, open. And I would urge all Christians and all concerned citizens to please share this data and please share this podcast with your elders, your pastors, with your politicians, with your leaders— Uh, and take the time to educate yourself and demand that your churches open and that your politicians start ending these lockdowns. And especially to the church, I would hope that we would just continue to pray that our Father in Heaven provides our pastors with the wisdom and the courage they need to stand up. Um, and I think that's kind of where we're going to leave it for today. Um, so I, I wanted to leave you with this scripture. It's first Peter four sixteen. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Since again, if we, the church who are most equipped to begin to speak out against the government's abuses of our rights. Because again, we are the only institution that has no fear of death, for Christ holds the key to Hades, and Christ is the only one who conquered death on a cross. If we aren't prepared to suffer for Christ's sake, then we remain unable to fulfill the Great Commission because we remain unable to bless the nations. Again, the Great Commission is is ordered by Christ to both build the church so that the church can then bless the nations through the preaching and the dissemination of the wisdom of God to the nations. So again, to Christians, I'm praying that you have courage. I'm praying that you don't fear because again, Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and has conquered death. And I encourage you to remember the peace that surpasses all understanding that Christ offers you. Again, it's time that we start talking about this medical data, disseminating this medical data, and pushing back against these awful lockdowns that are abusing Canadian children abusing Canadians 
and are having all sorts of negative impacts on society and on the lives of Canadians. And it's time that we as Christians start demanding that our churches speak out and start presenting the counter-narrative to the government. Because as Christians and as the church, because we believe that our rights fundamentally come from God and not the government, and because we believe that there is a God, we actually are the only ones that have the authority to speak out against the government, which a lot of people in our society now view as the ultimate authority, and speak to that government in the authority of Christ. And it's time that we started doing that. Um, so that's all I have for today. Elle, is there anything else you wanted to add before we sign off here? Uh, no, nothing for today. I just want to say um, may God bless you guys and be with you throughout this next week. And we're just going to sign off now, I think. So this has been Ellen CB for the Good Is Done podcast. Ephesians 6, 10 to 18. You've been listening to the Good Is Done podcast. Check out more of the show on demand at anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, CastBox, Pocket Casts, SoundCloud, YouTube, or wherever podcasts are found. Also connect with and follow LNCB on Facebook, Parlor, and Twitter, at Good Is Done Podcast.